bad, bad addict. Um, every time I was able to get a loan, I was doing drugs. I've been in prison four times, twice in the state, twice in the feds. I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. God called me from a prison cell. I was a homeless drug addict, and my hope was found in a needle. I was eight months pregnant, homeless, um, living out of my van. You know, it wasn't freeway that saved me, it wasn't John Stroop that saved me, but God uses freeway in such a mighty way as a tool to reach these people. There's not a community or a county in America that doesn't have a drug problem. And the, the church has the answer and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Welcome to One Broken Life. My name is John Stroop with my special guest, Greg Craig. Hi there, everybody. Thanks for being with us, Greg. Um, you hear about the negative impact that drugs and crime make on our community. What you don't hear about is the positive impact that a radically changed ex-drug addict makes. And on One Broken Life, we like to dig into the mess of the past of people and see where they come from because a lot of times people, Greg, are uh, curious about you know the lifestyles and, and where we come from and yeah. the different things like that. And so we have a couple... Uh, theme verses on, for our podcast and one broken life. Okay, and so one of them is um, Psalms fifty one seventeen, and this says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, this these you won't despise. And then um, so, uh, Philippians one twelve says um, the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Yeah, and so that's kind of a couple things that really kind of strike me to the heart of why we're doing this um, because we believe sometimes the bigger the mess the bigger the message right right I got and, you. and so we're going to explore your life Greg 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 is just a little introduction Greg is the director for freeway ministries Cape Town South Africa that's right and um, he's been doing ministry for how many years now five years to be exact we started out in on the first of August to open our doors for the very first time 2017. So August coming up will be six years. That's great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's a milestone. Congratulations. Thanks, John. So uh, let's kind of walk through your life, Greg. What was your life like growing up? Well, if I think about this, um, it was kind of different. My, my, my mother was a Muslim. My dad was Christian. And growing up, when we would go to family functions, uh, it would either be Christmas or it would be Eid. So it would be the Muslims celebrate Eid as a Christmas, you know, and so we would be about both uh, functions and um, kind of not knowing your identity, you know, um, and then also wanting to please uh, the Muslim type of the family and then the Christian f family. Um, my struggle would be um, my dad growing up, he was an alcoholic and uh, he'd be frowned upon uh, by my Muslim family because my Muslim family, they didn't drink. Um, or some of them did, but they could kind of control it, you know, but my dad had no limits. And uh, for me, it would be a struggle just just seeing how they would look down on him because he would always be drunk at the parties and we would end up carrying him around, you know, escort. we would always be the last to leave. So 
that was my, my struggle. My, my mother was my pillar. You know, she was the one that always told me, she gave me positive affirmations. Come on, boy, you can do this. So growing up, um, really, for me, it was my identity, who I am, how do I fit into the family. Um, yeah. Is there a high percentage of Muslim and uh, what's, what? I mean, as far as like religion, religion goes in South Africa, is there a, because I've been there, yeah, and I know that where you preach at on Sunday, you can hear the call to prayer from the mosque. That's correct. And so, is it what is it fifty fifty? I think it would be fifty fifty. Okay. Um, and I mean, we we live peacefully and home. I mean, we 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 have relationships. Many of our many of us have family that are Muslim, you know, yeah. and um, uh, they would invite us to to enjoy a meal together. So th there's no beef between us, you know. Um, yeah, we live peacefully with one another. So, growing up. Um, how many siblings did you have? I had three. I had three siblings. Okay. A brother and a sister, both so, younger than me. So your mom gave you the positive affirmation. So as we're walking through your, your childhood, um, and you guys online and on the video have to excuse me, I'm getting over a virus and I can't really, my, my voice, my nose is clogged up, so bear with me. Uh, when did your drug use start? Well, my drug use started, I think, just uh, started experimenting at high school, well, that would be age 15, um, but not nothing serious, nothing serious at all. And then uh, age 16, my mom landed up in a car accident and uh, she broke each and every bone in her body. She was unrecognizable. Um, that hit me for a six because, I mean, the person that I knew, this beautiful woman that loved me and cherished me and gave me these positive affirmations saying, you can do this. Now, I, I didn't recognize her. Um, broke each and every bone in her body, and that's when my drug use started to escalate because then I started looking for love in all the wrong places, started me, um, experimenting with alcohol and drugs, and it, it would be prog progressive. First, weed. Um, we have a drug called Mandrax, and I experimented with that. And That's Quaalude here. Quaalude. I looked it up. Okay. It's, it's an old drug called a Quaalude. It's a pill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. I, I never you, knew that. Now you know. Yeah. And it's still common today in our, in our, in our country. One of, yeah. Um, and, then a, a, and then the party scene came out in 1993, and I think in 1993, all, yeah. Um, what came out? The party scene. So oh, party scene. The rave scene. Oh, you know? okay, I see. And then also uh, political sanctions where everything could come into, I mean, I think in 1994, we just got uh, all borders opened and, I mean, all drugs came into, into Cape Town. And that's when my life really spiraled out of control because now I, I realized that uh, early uh, in my life that I had an addictive personality, you know, and um, uh, ended up using each and every drug that was available to me. Yeah. Okay. So how old were you when that was going on? I think, I mean, that was in my early 30s, 30s, yeah. Okay. But um, the quail or the mandrax that you speak about, that has been part of my life for, for, for 15 years. So yeah. in Cape Town, yeah. there's a lot of gangs. And... Uh, you guys call it gangsterism. Yeah. And so um, with the drugs came gangs? Yeah, definitely. With the, ga the drugs came gangs, 
Turf Wars, um, who would be the the most influential gang would be the one that is controlling the communities, you know, and who's selling the most drugs. And um, so territories would be we would be made, you know, if you stay in this area and you're pushing out this amount of, of drugs and, and, and even alcohol, anything that you could be, anything that could be sold, you know, um, guns, drugs, alcohols, that's what gangsterism is about and um, money laundering, car theft, you name it, anything illegal. And that, you, you went to prison, right? That's correct, yeah. Paul's um, prison? Paul's prison. And what an experience that was, you know. Um, I mean, uh, I, I remember going there and I, it was, they strip you down completely naked and they search you and they check you out if you belong in Polsmo you get you 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 have these gangs called the number gangs you you're either 26 27 or 28 and that is that, that that's what happened in our gangs and the, they force you they for the reason why they strip you is to see what gang you belong to and they kind of try to split you up um, if you belong to the number they put you in the holding cells where the numbers are, and if you are not a number, they put you into another cell. Yeah. And then the other cell, what's that? It's an Afrikaans uh, um, a word. They call it France. In other words, <laughs> in English it would be French. <laughs> yeah. But um, that that would be if you're not affiliated to the number gang. So they would try what what they would try to do because in the number gang you speak a completely different language. So they don't want people to understand. If you are France, they don't want you to understand the number language. Do you know what I'm saying? And so they. What's that language called? They call it Sabela. 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 I remember and when I went and met one of the leaders of the Mongo gang. Yeah. They were teaching. They were te talking Sabela to each other. Yeah. And Gerald, being a South African, didn't understand them. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's a it's a language that you don't understand, and it's mainly found in in prison, but. Uh, but you know, you know, when you belong to a gang, you kind of catch on to the lingo and the number gang because it, at, at the end of the day, if you're in a gang, one day, someday, very, very soon, if you're not found in a graveyard, you're gonna find yourself in jail. So they kind of try to equip you already on ground level, you know, um, so that when you get there, you know what to say and yeah. what to do. So you're you're in, you're in, you're a gang member. Yeah. Um, your brother was a gang member. That's right. And is he the one that introduced you to drugs? No, he wasn't. He was a year younger than me. I think we both experimented at the same time. But my brother was, um, uh, he was a handsome looking guy. But um, Unlike well, you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He was a handsome looking guy uh, and people would never associate, just his facials, would never ex associate him with a gang. But um, he was, he was a, um, we call them merchants, a drug dealer, but he was a drug dealer that sold bulk, in other words, in wholesale. So that's what he did. And in 2003, uh, he, was, he got killed. They shot him while sleeping in his bed. Um, yeah, that was, that, that was horrific. Something that I, 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 I still struggle with today. And his own gang members, his own gang shot him. I, I, we, we don't know, but I suspect that. Um, and they tried to shoot you too, right? Yeah, they did. They did. Um, uh, got stabbed several times, tried to kill me a couple of times. Um, and they shot your wife? Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, they shot her on the day of my, my brother's funeral. 
and we just put him, we laid him to rest. Um, I was in a in a place called Lavender Hill. It's not Beverly Hills, nowhere close to Beverly Hills. It's what you guys would call the projects type of thing. And um, I, I, you know, I dealt with that death differently. Um, you know, and if you're an addict as well, I got high in my own supply. When you when you when you feel pain, that's where I, I, I turn to. And I found myself using in Lavender Hill, smoking. And when I came out, um, my wife then came to come get me. It was just after we buried him. And uh, our rival gang, which was the Junkie Funkies, they saw us and they, uh, they, shot, they shot on us and they, they, shot, they shot my wife. Yeah. And she survived, thank God for that. Yeah, she survived. She's, she's tough. And she was the good girl. Yeah. You know, she 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 says she jokes about it today. She says I bite bullets. <laughs> she said what? I bite bullets. She bites them. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how long have you been clean and sober, Greg? I've been clean and sober for eleven years, um, to be exact. The seventh of February, twenty eleven. That's my clean and sober date, and not only my clean and sober date, but um, also the day that. Lord Jesus Christ came into my life and saved me from that so lifestyle. Let's talk a little bit about that. What tell everyone here listening, what brought you to your place of brokenness? Well, for for me, um my dad was diagnosed with cancer in twenty ten. His dying wish was for me to to become to come clean and sober and I, I couldn't I couldn't do that. I tried many a times to to come clean and sober. I had so many New Year's resolutions, you know. It was <laughs> you guys do that too. Huh? Yeah, man. Uh, and uh, New Year's Eve is the day to party, just because you know you're not. You say you're not going to do it ever yeah. again. So it's the big night. It's the big one night. last time. One last time, and uh, successfully, one minute past twelve, I find myself using over and over and over again. That was the insanity of my my addiction. You know, um, so that, 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 man, um, that was a struggle. Um, yeah. Okay. So broke, how did you, what brought you to that place? It was your dad's dying wish, the fact that you couldn't stop. Let's, I mean, let's talk about, uh, you know, talk through, let's talk through that. Like when you came to Christ and you surrendered your life to Jesus, what brought you there? What was the, that's it, I'm done? Well, I, you know, um, I, I can't even say that's it, that I'm, I'm done. Because when I, when I came to Christ, uh, uh, I realized one thing, um, that, that I was forgiven. I'd hurt my family so many times. And I've made all these empty promises. The family that I, uh, that I loved, they didn't want anything to do with me because I lied, I cheated, I manipulated. They just thought that this was just another one of my schemes, you know. And for me, it was really just holding on to him and knowing his promises for me, knowing that he cares for me, that he'll never leave me, that he'll never forsake me, you know, and, and I, that I'm forgiven. That was the big thing for me, you know, knowing that I'm forgiven. So, um, and it hurt me with regards to my family because there was some resentment towards them because... Uh, and I, today I, I still I can't blame them, yeah. you know, because because of my addiction, twenty three years, you know, um, I think that was just part of my makeup, and they they watched me from afar, 
to see if this is just a a hoax or not, you know, because so many times people use religion, you know, as a scapegoat. Oh yeah, and um, the yeah. the the judges and the lawyers always say, "Oh yeah, he found Jesus." Like it's a joke. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and um, everybody finds Jesus when they get go to jail. Yeah. Everybody finds Jesus when they're going to trial. And 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 when you say that, that's what I thought. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. If you find Jesus. Until I met him. Yeah. <laughs> Man, knowing that you are forgiven. Yeah. You know, knowing that you are forgiven. I'm talking about knowing that. It's not just, you know, man, it, I think that was the glue that just held everything together for me. Let's yeah. talk about it. Let's talk about uh, the day you gave your stuff up, the day you surrendered your life to Jesus. Yeah. Man, I, I was invited to a, uh, to a church, and my friend invited me. I was his best man. And he said, Greg, I need you to come and just be a pillar of strength for me. You know, He set you up. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> you know, he, <laughs> he, said, he said he was nervous. You know, I'm really nervous. This is going to be my first time speaking in front of a crowd. What's that guy's name? His name's Sean. Sean Aspling. Yeah. Today he's a pastor in, in, a, in a church. Uh, Man, Doing good. Yeah, really good. And Preaching uh, the word. Man, it's, it's amazing because, you know, I look at that and I see how faithful God is through it all. But I, I remember going to church and him inviting me and going there and, and you know, just, I'm just going to be there for him. Meanwhile, God had, he had something else planned for me. You know, on that day, I, I laid, my pastor preached on the prodigal son and I laid down my life. You know, I surrendered. Um, but I, I remember coming to church with my drugs in my pocket. I never left my drugs. What what kind of drugs were they? Um, I had my meth pipe on me, and I had my meth in my pocket. You know, I was I was ready. You know, I smoked every second of the day. You smoked at church bathroom, man. If I could, I would. You know, yeah. um, I, I smoked in the court bathrooms. I, I smoked anywhere. There wasn't a special place. Yeah. You know, I would I would drive in my car. I'd be smoking. I'd be smoking. Any way I could smoke, I'd smoke. Right. And um, that day when, when when God saved me, oh, man, I remember coming home and looking. First thing I did was I I I, I put my hands in my pockets, and uh, I took the drugs and the the meth pipe out, and I looked at it and I thought to myself, what do I do now? You know, because that was that that was a stumbling block. But I remember. I don't know, man. The Holy Spirit just convicted me. I threw that drugs out. I took the pipe and I, I threw it away, you know. And um, my life was never, ever the same again. To, a, to the fact that somebody came, a friend of mine came to me the next day and he knocked on my door. He said, Greg, the day before we just smoked. Knocked on my door. He said, Greg, can we smoke? And um, here he was the next day. And I said, man, I'm not doing that anymore. This is who I am today, you know, and uh, first time witnessing. Yeah, you know, and um, really, I, I felt proud of myself, you know, for the first time. Yeah, it's awesome. So you became a Christian. Yeah. What did your wife think about this? Well, <laughs> my my wife was a Christian just, I think, a couple of weeks before me. Um, little did I know to mine to my knowledge before we had this revival, this campaign um, at our church, 
uh, we had a prayer meeting and uh, they, they, the ladies in the prayer group, they asked, is there anything that I, they could pray for? And she said, please pray for my husband, he's a drug addict. You know, and she couldn't even say my name. And uh, I remember my friend Sean's wife calling, calling mentioned, please pray for Greg. You know, and uh, man, I remember when I got saved, it felt like the church did a Mexican wave, you know, because they, they got to see the answer of prayer, you know, and God moving in a mighty way. And I didn't know that, you know, um, there was a rejoicing, you know, Amen. and uh, I, sometimes I, not some, many a times I, I, I remember those days because I cherished them. And whenever we do have revivals, I get to invite my friends, you know, and sometimes I get to experience that very, that very experience that happened to me, you know, see that happening in their lives, knowing that their lives are going to be changed forever. Amen. Amen. What, uh, what, what, if any difference is there, you've been, this is your second time here with us in yeah. Springfield. Um, I remember the day we started Freeway Cape Town. You started it. Yeah. Um, you came here for about 21 days, and we tried to raise some money and get you in front of many people as I could. And then we went back and had a campaign, you know. Yeah. And um, I've seen addiction in Cape Town. Um, been there several times. And then you've seen addiction here. Yeah. So what difference, if any, is there in addiction here compared to there. Well, um, and, and what I've what I've seen is that, especially w with you guys here, if the police catch you with your drugs, you go to jail. <laughs> There's no in between. With Cape Town, you can still. They might just they they're a little bit more lenient. Um, as far as addictions concerned, man, I, I remember the first day I walked into Freeway, the Saturday night felt like I, I was walking into my area with my people group. You know, there was no difference. Maybe the drugs change, you know. You, you guys have different drugs compared to what we do have. But but addiction-wise, all the same, John. Okay. Yeah. The, to see the brokenness, to see the hurt, you know. Yeah, it's the same. And you guys have the soup kitchen ministry. Yeah, that's Which right. is kind of like our freeway outreach. It's yeah. Same thing. And uh, a lot of people get saved out of that. Yeah, man, and, and, and that's, that's mind-blowing because, you know, when God does something miraculous in your mind, you get to see it, you, you know, you get to disciple them, you get to walk with them, and the very people that you're feeding, now they become the uh, worship leaders. The deacon of the church. The deacon of the church. Ephraim. Yeah, Ephraim. Yeah, we, we have um, a couple of people that have become pastors in the church, you know, and they, we send them out. Um, we have people that come through the program that become leaders and, and they don't stay in the church and they move. And that leadership skills are just so evident in their lives, you know. Um, so for me, that's so exciting to be able to see. And then what a privilege it is to be able to just bear witness to it and then also to walk a journey with them, yeah. I remember when I came to Cape Town for the first time to preach and I met you and Ephra Ephraim yeah. and Sean and yeah. the different guys and gals, the, both Seans, Sean yeah. Peterson and Sean. Sean Asplin, yeah. Sean Asplin. Asplin? 
Yeah. And uh, I thought, man, this is home. You know, these are my people. And Ephraim was talking about he was homeless pushing the trolley. And yeah. I was, I kept thinking, what's a trolley? You know, shopping cart. That's right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. And now he's singing up there on the stage, leading worship. And yeah. And beautiful. And, and his testimony is the only time I push a shopping trolley or a shopping um, basket or is uh, at the end of the month when he takes his kids shopping. You know, it's no more. You know, so that's the, the power of the Lord Jesus. Yeah, Amen. Christ. And so, did you ever think you'd be a drug addict growing up? Nah, not 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 at all, man. Um, I, I I looked at my father, told myself I'll never be like him, I'll never be an alcoholic, and I found myself being worse than him. Yeah. Did you ever try to get clean on your own? I did, um, but I I didn't know what clean was. You know, because uh, in our circles. Cleaners, um, this, you don't do drugs, but you still do alcohol. Right. And I, I kind of substituted, you know, a couple of times. Um, but I became a raging alcoholic and nobody liked me. I used to fight with the, with the furniture. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. Climbing through the windows. Yeah. Do, just doing crazy stuff, man. Yeah. What about, uh, when did, so when did you come to the point when you knew your life was out of control? To be honest, I didn't. Okay. I, I, I didn't come to that point. I think um, on that day when God saved me, it, it like he just said enough. So you heard the word of God. Yeah. Pocket full of meth at a revival meeting. Yeah. Hillbilly pastor Dave Gidkin preaching. Yeah. <laughs> Tells you to come down forward and you thought, no way. Yeah. I don't do stuff like that. Yeah. The next thing you know, you're on the altar with your hands held high. Down in tears. Amen. Know? And you surrendered your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Uh, so have you ever been to treatment centers before? N n no. My perception of a treatment center was for losers. You know, we, we don't do that. And um, I've never been to a treatment center before. And I don't say that there's anything bad about treatment centers. I, I just never, ever, I mean, I was a gangster. G gangsters don't do, do treatment, you know. Gangsters don't do church. Gangsters, yeah. We do crime. So tell us about what, what was your darkest moment in addiction? My darkest moment for me was, that, that's a hard one, not providing for my family, um, not being there for them, um, <coughs> really just um, hurting them. I would... I would buy stuff and then take it from them again to sell it. You know, I'd promise, I'd give them a birthday gift and say, this is, this is it. And I'd promise them. And today they will remind me of those days and tell me, Daddy, you remember when you bought me this phone and you took it back? Or you remember when you, took, when you bought me this PlayStation and you took it back? And so my darkest days definitely um, landing up in jail and um, finding... You know, you in 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 our culture, they, they, we we say uh, like the gangsters they, they, they'll they'll die with, they'll die with you, and um, uh, they didn't die with me. You know, they didn't even visit me. Nobody came. I had one friend that came, one friend by the name of Brindley. Um, he came and visited visited me. Yeah, 
Did you ever think you would change? Never. I thought I was going to die a gangster. I thought I was going to die with a pipe in my mouth. <coughs> I believe that with all my heart. And you wanted to. Yeah, because it, I had this, this thing called junkie's pride. <coughs> you know, Excuse it was, me. It was, um, it was that. You know, I, I didn't know a, a, any other way. Yeah. What was your exposure to the gospel um, before you came and gave your life to Christ? Well, before, um, I, I would hear people preach, but um, I mean, we, we have open ears, right? And um, many times it would be in Lavender Hill or in, in those in those. <coughs> Many a times it would be by the drug dealer's headquarters and I would go there <laughs> and that would be my first, you know, just like that would be the first. But it, it, it never it never meant anything to me until I I, I set my foot in this in this tent um, on the 7th of Feb and my life was never ever the same again. So what, when did you realize there was hope for you? To change. When did you realize there was hope for Greg Craig to not be the gangster with a pipe in his mouth? Well, it, you know, I realized and I started coming to church. You see, I, I found out <coughs> that this God saved the Richard sinner like me, um, given me hope. And uh, when I, and that hope was found in the Bible. And I started picking up God's word, you know, and realized, not realized, but, but as I would read, I would, I, would, I would see that God's word is alive and it speaks to you, you know, and that, and that hope <coughs> I Excuse found in God's, in God's word. Um, and uh, not only in God's word, but in God's people, because they walked a journey with me, you know. Um, now I, I had a new family and that family was found in Christ. You know, um, and they loved on me. Um, and they started giving me positive affirmations. You know, they started to walk a journey with me. Uh, they started to bless. Yeah. Amen. So, where was the first place you served in the church? My first place to, uh, I served in the church was in a support group. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was, and I think that was my calling is starting to give back into the recovery ministry. You know, just walking a line <coughs> alongside those that um, have come out of the addiction. Do you ever fear relapse? Um, in the beginning, uh, I, I feared, and, and the reason why I did was I used to get many using dreams, you know, and that using dreams was like reality to me. I would wake up in the morning with cold sweats and thinking that I disappointed everybody, you know, and then uh, uh, and um, and realizing that I've, <coughs> I've lost everything, the trust, all of the relationships I've built in the past, or that I've built. And then waking up and then like an hour or two just like dwelling in that, like, you know, and then finding out that it was just a dream, you know, and uh, knowing that, wow, I know what I, I need to be doing, you know, yeah. So um, as we talk through your past and we've talked about how, you know, you came to that place of brokenness and all the things that you'd been through, the shootings and stabbings and, you know, that lifestyle, yeah. your brother dying. And I remember you said that you and your wife went to the house 
apartment or whatever where he was, and yeah. you couldn't. She had to have her go check and see if he was yeah. him. You couldn't sit. You couldn't look at him, right? That's right. And then she gets shot on his funeral. Yeah. I mean, a lot of trauma. Yeah. And so you, uh, God has allowed you to come out of that. Yeah. And now you're in ministry. And now you're serving the Lord. Amen. Running after people that most run from. Yeah. And so uh, maybe there's somebody listening that uh, comes from the same background, gangster, drugs, crime. And uh, what would you say to them right now if they think they're saying, well, I can't change? What would you say to them? Man, uh, I, I would share my testimony with him, but not only share my testimony, but... but um. There's so many others, you know, that have come through the exact same trauma, the exact same lifestyle. There's so many examples of lives being changed, you know. Um, and I, I would love to tell them that there is hope and there is a future, you know, and, that, and that's found in Christ Jesus. Amen. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing your first part of your story. Yeah. And we're going to come back and we'll have a second part. All right. And so... We appreciate y'all hanging in there with us and my voice and my kind of sinuses or whatever it is going on with me right now. And uh, if you've enjoyed the, this podcast, I just want you to know this this uh, One Broken Life is a production of Freeway Ministries. And if you want to continue to help us um, as we move forward with this podcast, reaching people with the gospel, you can support us with a one-time gift or you can become monthly supporters. Uh, you can go online at freeway-ministries.com and you can become a partner. Also, you can share our, our 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 podcast. You can share it on your whatever device you use, Spotify, Apple, or maybe even um, you're on the, the Facebook page or the YouTube channel. We would sure appreciate that. And so until we see you next time, thank you for hanging in there and uh, listening with us through One Broken Life. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, John.